Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Here with us, we're going to get in the word of the Lord. Amen. To the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 21, beginning at verse number 22. Amen. Just one scripture that I'd like to read in your hearing as we get in the word tonight. Amen. Doesn't it feel a whole lot better outside? Amen. Walked out and told Brother Alonzo, I said, man, it feels good. He said, yeah, it's going to be cool the whole week. And it's going to get hot next week. It, we get that false fall every year. You start thinking, oh, it's fall. My wife starts putting out fall and pumpkin spice, everything. And, and then all of a sudden you get roasted again. And it feels weird being hot with fall leaves all over the house, you know. It's like being in Hawaii during Christmas. When you're in Hawaii, they've got Christmas trees and everything, but you're in Hawaii. Amen. So it just, it, it doesn't quite feel like Christmas. I remember I was in the Philippines the week before Christmas several years ago, and I thought, man, this does not feel like Christmas. It's supposed to be cold during Christmas. Amen. But uh, glad the seasons are changing and some relief is upon us. Amen. Praise God. Second Samuel chapter number 21, and we're going to read verse 22. This one verse of scripture, these four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Amen. Now these four giants that are spoken of here are the brothers of the most notorious or infamous giant by the name of Goliath. And uh, my title's gonna kind of be a little strange, at least for a couple of minutes, uh, and especially in relation to the text, but I think it'll all come together in just a little while. But I wanna, I wanna, pre I wanna preach or talk tonight on a question. What if I don't finish my antibiotics? What if I don't finish my antibiotics. Amen. And I think there's a parallel in scripture we can talk about here. And so why don't we pray and ask the Lord to touch us tonight. Jesus, I'm thankful for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the precious assembly of your children. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight through your word that we might receive strength, that we might receive joy and hope and direction and determination. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Look at somebody and tell them you need to finish your antibiotics. When you get sick and have to take antibiotics, the doctor tells you to finish them. How many's ever had to take antibiotics before? Amen. I remember during, uh, it's, it's funny, you can't even talk about it anymore. People get triggered. But I remember in early part of COVID, and we, we were trying everything. Well, I would say we were going to try everything that worked. The things we thought would work, they wouldn't let us try. And it's funny now, the CDC has literally retracted everything they said would not work. 
that all the things they said would not work. All the media people made fun of people for taking ivermectin and it was a horse dewormer and all, and all of that's a joke. Well, isn't it funny how now they're saying, you know what, it, it's actually a whole lot more effective than anything we tried. There was nothing that could, the only cure for COVID the first year and a half was put them on a ventilator. It wasn't try med. It was the only time in the history of modern medicine we didn't try anything. We never tried to prevent. We never tried to help the symptoms. They just waited till you couldn't breathe anymore, and they'd put you on a ventilator, and we saw the results of that. Um, I remember when I went in because my fever was so high, and my breathing was getting a little tight, and I had uh, forgot that I have seasonal asthma. They gave me a breathing treatment. They said, We're gonna, we want to keep you for 48 to 72 hours in the COVID wing for observation. And uh, I just said, uh-uh. Well, my first question was, is, is, is it a, what will happen if I refuse? Is there a law? Well, they wouldn't absolutely come out and say there was no law, but I knew my rights, bless God. And I stood up and I said, well, you got about one minute. Either you take this IV out or I'm taking this IV out, but you're not putting me up in that death wing. And I said, you're not going to leave my wife and my little girl looking in a parking lot up through a window wondering what's going on up there because you're too cowardly to read the science on this. And so the nurse came in in her space suit, and she unplugged the IV. And, and I called my wife right then. I said, be out front 20 minutes. I'll meet you out there. And I left. Amen. Um, it has shaken our trust in science. Because now everything the leaders have told us, we found out was a lie. And we're getting, we're getting their own emails saying, cover this up. Cover this up. And that's not conspiratorial. It's just fact. Amen. Uh, when Fauci first came out and said, you know, laughed at the idea of everybody wearing a mask. Said, oh, then he come back and said, no, I said that because we were running short. So he was willing for everybody but his people to die. And then he retracted that again. So I don't know where he stands. So usually whatever stance he takes, I'm taking the opposite. And, and you'll be a sure bet on that one. So when your doctor gives you advice for antibiotics, we know they're powerful. We know they work in the human body. We know that antibiotics, when given for the right thing, will work. Now, every time you get a fever, they're not going to give you an antibiotic. Some sicknesses don't require them. But when you get sick and you take an antibiotic, the doctor tells you to finish the antibiotic. You ever heard the doctor say that to you? Now, I want you to finish this. You ever thought, why? While they can begin to work in your body soon after starting a new course of antibiotics, if you stop the treatment before your prescribed medication is scheduled to finish, you could actually be doing more harm than if you had never even begun taking the antibiotic at all. And the reason for this is that once antibiotics start to destroy the specific bacterial infection that you are trying to treat, that it will take a specific dose and number of days to completely eliminate the bacteria. So you have to finish the scheduled program of, back, of, of antibiotic. If you start a dose and stop it before your doctor has instructed you to do so, you are giving remaining bacteria a chance to grow again. 
And since the remaining bacteria have not been completely killed and have been exposed to a less than full course of antibiotics, they can now be resistant to antibiotic treatment and can multiply in your body and wreak even more havoc than they did prior to starting the medicine in the first place. So the, the bacteria in your body becomes antibiotic resistant if you don't finish the course of medication. The, the bacteria will grow stronger and then the antibiotic you're going to take is not effective anymore, and they usually have to double it or, or, or uh, intravenously put in an antibiotic because you just strengthened the bacteria you wanted to kill because we didn't kill it off by doing what the doctor said, right? I mean, I'm just putting that in a nutshell. That's how, that's how antibiotics work, amen. And, and uh, we're seeing now in the last uh, several years that the uh, prescriptions of antibiotics is actually going down because... The, the doctors are starting to realize that this body that God made is actually pretty powerful and actually can fight off a lot more than they thought it could if we just give it a chance and we, and we boost it with things like vitamin D. And, and you're like, man, this is, a, this is a Bible study night. I'm going somewhere with this. You got you to boost it with vitamin D. Vitamin D. They said... 83% of all hospitalized COVID patients were vitamin D deficient. Doctors were screaming, go take vitamin D. 62% were zinc deficient. They said, go take zinc. Your body has the ability to fight it if you boost it with the things God put in the earth to help it. Amen? Amen. And so if you start a dose of antibiotics, it's important that you finish it. Now, I have been one, and I'm sure nobody else here has done this before, who did not finish the amoxicillin, right? You got to fit. Well, you don't know this because you all obeyed the doctor. I didn't. Every one of you were good patients. I wasn't. I didn't. Fit. You know why? Because when you get to feeling better, it's like three times a day, that's quite a nuisance, right? I mean, three times a day. I get busy. I got one track mind. You know, I, I forget. And the last time I was on amoxicillin and all that stuff was long before um, iWatches and reminders and all those apps that could do all that. And, man, I'd be feeling good on the third day. It's a seven-day regiment. Next thing I know, I'm on the fifth day going, man, I forgot to take my antibiotics for two days. And so I might take one and say, well, I'm going to pick back up on this. And then I take the one and, and forget about it and then look in the medicine cabinet Two months later, and there's half a bottle of amoxicillin or something right there. Now, I know y'all have never done that, but I have. So what that ought to tell you is I am loaded with powerful bacteria in my body. <laughs> Amen. Because you're supposed to finish it. You can't stop what you've started just because things are better. Because if you do, it will come back stronger. When David heard the taunts of Goliath and saw the fear of his brothers and the army of God, he decided to engage the enemy. He decided to take Goliath head on in warfare and notice how he approached the enemy. In 1 Samuel 17 and 48, and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and there came and drew nigh to meet David 
that David hasted, hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. The word hasted in the Hebrew means to be liquid or flow easy. It means to hurry. I think y'all picked that up, right? It means to move quick, fast, and in a hurry. Most Ricky Tick, get it done. Yesterday, go. He took off running after Goliath. And he ran to engage the enemy. 1 Samuel 17 and 51 says, Therefore David ran and stood up on the Philistine. So when he ran to him, now we know the story. Have you ever read the smack talk that went on between David and, and Goliath? It was some pretty good stuff. I mean, we like to think that he just stood there in the perfect King's English and said, I will take thine head from off of thine shoulder. And he did say it. But what he really said, he said, I'm going to cut your head off, sucker. And he said, I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air when I get done. I'm going to smack you in the mouth when I get I'm, I'm going to cut your head off. And he took off running at him. Amen. See, some of y'all talk too nice to the devil. Oh, please, devil, don't mess with my family. You need to get, you need to get some Holy Ghost boldness and say, listen here, Jack, I'm going to cut you at the knees. I'm not, ta- I'm not taking you messing with my family. I'm not taking you messing with my family. This ain't a negotiation table. Amen, this ain't some treaty that we're setting out with the heads of the world and nations. There is none of that. This is no Paris peace protocol. I'm coming for your throat. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. He's coming for your throat. And he's coming for your kid's throat. And he's coming for your grandkid's throat. David learned, you gotta fight fire with fire. You don't play around with this stuff. David didn't sit over there and say, hey, you know, you're a pretty big fella. Why don't we sit down and play checkers? We'll thumb wrestle. Right? We'll, we'll, draw, we'll draw straws. We'll put up three ropes and four posts and some turnbuckles and we'll WWF wrestle this thing out, you know? He didn't say that. He said, I'm cutting your head off. I'm feeding your guts to the fowl of the air. And he took off running. Amen. I, I, I love the energy of that teenage boy when he takes off running and he flings that stone and sinks it right into the forehead of, uh, of Goliath and knocked him down. See, most of us think that he killed Goliath with a stone. He did not kill Goliath with a stone. He knocked him down. The stone did not kill Goliath. The stone knocked Goliath down. See, here's our problem. We knock down the enemy, and then we get the drum going and the piano going, and we just dance all over the place. Ooh, the enemy's down. Ooh, the enemy's down. Hallelujah, the enemy's down. He's down, but it ain't over. David realized in verse 51, therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword. Whose? Took Goliath's sword. David didn't have a sword. He took, can you see that teenage scrawny little ruddy, complected teenage kid drawing out the sword of a 10-foot, 12-foot, 13, 95-foot giant, however big you want him to be. He's pretty big to me. I love how people get precise with it. He wants nine feet, six inches. Really, you were there with the measuring tape. The Bible says he was three cubits in the span. The problem is we don't know exactly how big a cubit was and exactly how big a span was. So theologians say he was somewhere between nine foot six and 13 feet tall. You preach him nine six, I'm gonna preach him 13 feet. Can you imagine David taking the sword off a 13 foot giant? 
I mean, that, that sword had to have been huge. Sorry, Sister Cindy, I'm going to have to use your thing here. Can you imagine how big a sword is on a 13-foot giant? My goodness, I don't think this thing will get big enough. I mean, a normal sword would be at about, about right here for that period. I mean, that sword had to be probably twice as long as that. And this little red-headed, red-complected teenager unsheathes the sword of this big old giant. Can you just see him staggering back with it? And Israel's over there going, oh, they couldn't believe he knocked him out. They're up there dancing like they did something. You ever have one of those friends? Oh, I had one. Of, I had those friends. You get man, they talk smack, get you in a fight. Oh man, I, Jr. and Shelton always. Man, they talk. Man, we gonna whoop that guy. We gonna whoop that guy. We'll get up there. We gonna and they talk trash to, to J, Jr. and Shelton. Talk, I mean, we was at Applebee's one night, and they started talking trash to this guy. Well, this guy started talking trash back. He said, "Man, let's just get up there and go over there and whoop it." Well, the guy said some threw something at me. Well, now I got involved. I didn't even know the guy. You know, my daddy didn't raise a dummy when it come to that stuff. He said, always be the one to throw the first punch. And as soon as that guy come up off the table and had his fist double, I just laid him out right there inside that, that booth in Apple. I'm telling you, I laid him out. And when I laid him out, we took off running because there were some sheriff's deputies eating on the other side of the bar. And, man, we went out of there hood sliding like Bo and Luke Duke trying to get out of there. And we did get out of there. And we're going down state line because back then you cruised the line. Y'all young people don't know anything about cruising. See, we didn't have cell phones back then. We didn't have cool things. So we got in our cars. This is back when gas was affordable. It was like 80 cents a gallon. And you could afford to run up and down this four-lane road in the middle of town called State Line. One side of the road was Arkansas. One side of the road was Texas. If you got in the turning lane, half your car's in one state and half your car's in the other. It's the main drag in town. And we cruised up and down the line, just, hey, you know, we thought we were cool. And when my car broke down one night, I took my mom's van, minivan out there cruising. Man, I just wanted to be out there and see people. And we took off out there running, man. We, I was, we, oh, man, that was awesome. And, and, and Sheldon and JR's in there. Man, we got it, boy. We knocked him out, man. That was great. Did you see that, man? That blood just went in. Hey, man, we, and I'm sitting there going, we who? There ain't no mouse in my pocket. What are y'all talking about? We. That's the army of Israel. They're up on top of the hill going, look what we've done. And there's little old David dragging his sword. He's trying to pick that thing up. And it had to have been the angel of the Lord that helped that rock hit his forehead. And it had to have been an angel of the Lord helping pick that sword up. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say David had ever handled a sword. And that's like these stupid movies they come out with, you know. Well, all of a sudden they find the gun. They pick it up and they can shoot eight people with a pistol at 100 yards. If you've never shot a gun, you couldn't hit somebody if they were standing within arm's length of you. It's a weapon of war. And he grabs this thing, and he takes it, and what? All of a sudden, he's severed. I'll let you fix that, Brother Nate. You're an engineer. All of a sudden, he crunch. That head was severed from his body. I'm not going to get the graphic detail. You can imagine. And then David didn't stop. David reached down and picked up the locks of that. I can't even imagine how much one of them heads would have weighed. 
That must have been a heavy head. And this kid is jacked up on adrenaline and the touch of God. And he walks up to the gates of his enemies and slams the head into the gates. Bam! Says, I'll be back. Now, what did David learn? David knew my enemy is not defeated when he's not down. Just because he's knocked down does not mean he's finished. We see David running to hurry to finish the enemy off. You cannot afford to knock Goliath down and not finish him off. I'm going to tell you something I learned just growing up being a boy that my mama wouldn't let me hide behind her skirt and you had to stand up for yourself. When you knock somebody down, the fight ain't over because they'll grab your ankles and pull you to the ground. You, 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 I see this stuff every once in a while. I pop, these kids fighting. One of them jump up and, like, oh, and, the, and the guy gets up and just cold cocks. I'm like, you've been watching too much WWF. In the real world, it don't work. I remember the first time I clotheslined somebody in the fourth grade and they got back up. I was shocked because when Hulk Hogan clotheslined people, they never got up again. It, it didn't. <laughs> I felt cheated, Brother Alonzo. <laughs> I tried, the, I tried the atomic leg drop, the suplex, the, all of that stuff. It, didn't, it, don't, it don't work. Not in the real world. And uh, he knew just because you knock your enemy down, it doesn't mean it's over. David ran over and cut his head off. He knew he can't stop when the enemy's down. You cut the head off of the enemy. I'm gonna, just because you get victory on Sunday, doesn't mean you have defeated that thing in your life. Just because you spoke in tongues and danced around the altar during church doesn't mean you have defeated that enemy or that struggle in your life. You've got to learn to continue the warfare of prayer and fasting and just keep on going. Goliath is defeated, but is it over? Absolutely not. Is it over because Goliath is defeated? Is it over because he cut his head off? Mm -mm. He's got four brothers. And these four were born of the giant of Gath. And Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of the servants. David and his men had to kill the brothers of Goliath. Now, I realize I'm talking to a total different generation. But used to... If you fought one, you had to fight them all. When you fight one, you fight them. That's just the way it was in a family. You don't, you don't get to whoop my family member and me not get in on it. It's, it's an age-old custom. <laughs> I, I, I remember in high school, one of the funniest memories of my brother, and my wife's probably thinking, I can't believe he'll tell this. I, this guy in school, he was picking on me, and I wasn't going to tolerate being picked on the guy had been flunked like four times you know so he was like 30 years old in the 10th grade this was back when when schools actually taught kids and didn't pass them because they felt for sorry for them you actually had to learn to get to the next grade anyway i won't get on that amen so this guy he was he was like three years older than me i mean he was all he he already had gray in his goatee you know and all this stuff he was just a punk he was just a punk and uh he 
he was picking on me. And, and, and look, I knew, the, I knew the guy was rough. I, I mean, he had tattoos. Back, back in 1995, if you had tattoos and you were in high school, you were, you were a dude. And, and he kept picking on me in class. And, uh, what, and, and I, he was just showing out for the girls. But, I mean, I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to take it. But this one day he was really, and he, and he turned this, this ring upside down and he smacked me in the head. And I'm telling you, it hurt. And I jumped up. And when I jumped up and grabbed him, they separated. And I said, all right, I'll see you at the tennis courts. Now, with the tennis, we didn't play tennis at the tennis court. It was just, just something we had in this old town. You know, it was a concrete slab. And I said, you meet me after school down there. And I thank God we had good, responsible adults. They didn't pull us apart and say, now, listen, what you need is more love and expression of femininity in your life. And our coach would take us behind the field house and say, you got three minutes to get this thing out of your system. We need more of that happening to these boys. They wouldn't have all these, you know, faded light blue hair and think they're girls. Let, this, let that toxic come out of them, that masculinity. I'll tell you what, take toxic masculinity. Get your head bashed in behind the field house every once in a while. It'll humble a man. It's good for him. Amen. I promise you I will not be writing any How to Rear Son books anytime soon. I'd be put in jail. And so, uh, so... I went to the, <laughs> went after school, and my friend Eugene, we're walking over. He's like, he said, I said, man, you sure you want to fight him? I said, I really don't want to, but man, you know, he hit me in front of everybody. I can't, I can't, I'm not going to be a punk, you know. I, mean, I got to stand up for myself. He said, man, I don't know. He said, he's, he's a bad dude, you know. It's, well, look, at least, at least I'll stand up for myself. And the whole way over there, Eugene's like, man, are you sure, bro? I said, man, this dude. <laughs> He could be your grandpa. He's old now. <laughs> the whole way. And it was like, it was like a 10-minute walk over there. And I'm like telling Eugene, why don't you shut up and tell me how tough I am? Why don't you tell me how you think I can win rather than trying to talk me out of this? At this point, I feel like I'm going to be, you know, eating steak through a straw the rest of my life. Just say something positive, you know, and get over there. And, and man, the whole school would turn out. I grew up in a little town of 416 people. And so, you know, word traveled fast. And I was going to fight this dude. And so I, I get over there, and uh, when you fight one, you fight them all. And so when I showed up, there, there is minimal 80 people, 80, 100 people making a circle. Man, it's just everybody's just, you know, most of them want to see me win, and so they're cheering for me, but they know I'm going to lose. <laughs> but I got to stand up for myself. And so I get over there, and. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm mentally psyching myself up, and I'm just thinking, if I just grab his legs and get him on the ground, and, you know, I'll put him in the headlock, and I can choke him out, and, you know, what? I'm, I'm preparing myself for this, and, and so I, I take off my, my uh, flannel-type shirt thing that was cool to wear back then, and I took that off, and I had my T-shirt on underneath it, and uh, I'm just kind of walking like this, and he's walking, and all of a sudden, we hear, boom, 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 and it's big old green 1983 Chevy 4x4 with a 42-inch lift on it. Comes rolling up over the park. And my brother, who had dropped out of school, because <laughs> he said, they can't teach me nothing. I want to work and make money. And so he did. He went out and worked and made money. Well, one of his friends called him from the payphone at the high school and said, you remember that dude I told you about that's like 35 and in the 10th grade? He's going to fight your brother this afternoon. Well, my brother, by the time he got from my dad's shop 
to there had gotten pretty liquored up. Now, he knew that guy was going to whoop me. He knew he was going to whoop me. And so <laughs> this may not all go on the podcast. And so he, whoom, whoom, whoom. And I don't know if you've ever seen my brother. He's, he's not a little fella. And all of a sudden, he pulls right up on the basketball court. And I'm thinking, great. Now I got to get whooped in front of my brother, and he's not going to let me live it down. But, hey, I was going to give it to good old college try, you know. You didn't run from a fight. I was going to have to fight him and my dad when I got home if I ran from it. Now I wasn't going to be punked out. Well, about the time my dad, my, my brother steps out of that truck, and he's got a World War II era gas mask. He had been hitting some stuff by then. Combat boots and tidy whities And he comes. <laughs> he, and I'm going to tell you, all you got to do is go to Texarkana and say my brother's name. And everybody knows who he is. No, no lie. Everybody knows who he is. And they know one thing, two things about him. One, he will kill you. And number two, he is the biggest teddy bear you'll ever meet if you stay on his right side. And he comes walking over there to me. And he's, now if he comes out here, don't, don't embarrass him with this. This was BC. This is before Christ, okay? Don't say, hey, I heard about you and your tidy white. Don't, just leave it alone. I'm, I'm serious. Just leave it alone. And he comes, he's got these big old, he wears a size 38 pants. So he's got these long legs and he just starts galloping over there. And he looks at me and I'm like, oh my goodness. I didn't know what he's going to do. And he looks at me through that mask and it's all steaming up at this point. I can tell he's feeling good by this point. And he pulls it. And this dude knows of my brother. And he's starting to kind of, you can tell him all of a sudden, the fear of God starting to hit him. See, what he forgot to was is if you mess with one, you got to mess with us all. And that this guy had an unfair advantage since we later found out he spent a year in juvenile corrections. So my brother turned to him and he pulled the mask back and he said, you want to fight him? You got to go through me. <laughs> and the guy says, oh, no, 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 man. I, 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 I. It was on at that. I'm telling you. I almost had pity for that guy, but I'm going to tell you he leaked all the way home. Boy, they drug him home. He wasn't even conscious, amen. When you fight one, you got to fight them all. This is what happened with Goliath. David knew just because I kill him, they're not going to let this go. They're not going to say, oh, you know, uh, that David. No, he, he was a teenage kid. They weren't going to let this go. Not only did he kill their brother, he humiliated, he cut his head off. It was an extreme sign of disrespect in warfare. And then it would now make the army of the Philistines become the slaves of the people of Israel. So the brothers of Goliath were going to get David. But David said, just because I knocked Goliath down doesn't mean he's dead. And just because I kill him doesn't mean it's finished. Amen. So David realized, I've got to go hunt his brothers, and I've got to take him out. And he did. David and his mighty men went and killed the four brothers of David. And David gave thanks for the victories. 
He said, I believe it's uh, Psalms 22 and 1, and David spake unto the Lord the words of um, uh, Second Kings 22 and 1. And David spake unto the Lord the words of the song in that day uh, that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou sayest, uh, savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. All of them had to be killed. It took a while, but they all had to be killed. I'm going to tell you something. Those things in your life that are coming against you, you can't be friends with the friends of the things you're seeking to get rid of in your life. You've got to kill it. And I'm not talking about people. Don't go to work tomorrow and say, well, pastor said kill my problems. I'm, I'm, that's not what I said. Those temptations that are trying to take you out, that weakness in your flesh that the devil takes advantage of, you can't just shout about it at church and have the victory when you leave. You've got to knock it down here. But when you get up tomorrow morning, you've got to get in prayer and you've got to get in the word of God and pick up that sword and cut off its head and cut off its life source and cut off its power and cut off its influence amen and then when you get done with that then you've got some brothers of that thing that you got to get rid of because the devil never fights fair I said the devil never fights fair the devil never fights fair he will never fight fair there are no rules for him there is no Geneva convention rules of war he's going to do everything he can because when you fight one you fight them all you fight one, you fight them all. Amen. Look at what Jesus said. When the unclean spirit goeth out of a man, he seeketh rest in dry places and findeth none. So he returns back to the place where he came from. And when he goes back and he finds that place, swept, garnished, and kept, and Empties the key word. See, you can't afford to be empty of the Spirit of God in your life. Every day you must be filled with the Holy Ghost. How do I know I'm filled with the Holy Ghost? You know how you're filled with You need to pray through the tongues every day. And I'm not talking about them tongues that you can do in your flesh. I'm talking about tongues that come from the unction of the Holy Ghost. Now, we're going to act like you don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. You know you can bust out speaking in tongues right now. Your flesh knows how to do it. Your flesh learns to mimic tongues so that when you pray, your flesh will kick in and do that, and it's your flesh's way of saying, be satisfied with that. You've got to pray until the unction of the Holy Ghost comes up in you and prays through you. Your flesh will meet you. At, your flesh didn't want the Holy Ghost. Remember, you had to yield. I remember being a kid, and they'd be praying people through the Holy Ghost, just screaming, "Yield, yield, yield, yield!" And then people are like, "I don't see a sign." <laughs> Somebody, and two people on each side, usually just faces like this, just screaming at them. One of them saying, hang on. The other one saying, let go, hang on, let go, yield, hang on, let go, yield. And they just go, oh, 
out of self-defense, they got the Holy Ghost. I mean, we didn't know how to pray for people. <laughs> I've seen people slain, and it wasn't by the spirits, by people's funky breath getting up there praying for people. Hand me that little tin box right beside your Bible. Hey Amen. I'll tell you, the most important thing you need when you pray for somebody is not faith. It's not the anointing. It's not even the power of God. The most important thing you need when you pray for somebody is this thing right here. Because I don't care how much God you got, how much anointing you got, how much revelation you got. If you got stinking breath, they ain't receiving any of that. And let the church say amen. Thank you. I taught that at a... I used to do these altar working seminars. I taught that one time. Boy, I, this, this person got so mad at me over that. Said, I've got faith in the faith. If they're hungry, faith in I'm just sitting there going, whoo, hallelujah, hallelujah, something. Yeah. Dear Lord, I'm surprised people's eyeballs didn't melt out, melt out when they said hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Some people get to Jesus in spite of, in spite of us. Amen. I, I, was, I, I told Brother Chase and Brother Garza a while back, I said, one of these nights, I'm going to do an altar-working seminar because I haven't done one in years, and I, and I need to do it just kind of keep us fresh. But it's so important. It, 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 it is free to go, <gasps> but don't breathe out. <gasps> Check it. And if you're not certain, go to your loved one and go, hey, I got to tell you something. And if they really love you, if they love you, they're going to go, oh, man. You got some Benny Hinn breathers. You're going to be knocking everybody out. <laughs> While we keep near the ministry uh, play, we got, we got boxes of mints in there. I tell them, oh, God, pray for about no mint. Put some mint in your mouth. I don't care how much. You can raise people up out of a casket. It don't matter with them. They can't smell anyway, but we're praying for living folks. Make sure your breath smells good. Second thing you need to check is just reach up every once in a while and go, hallelujah. Because I'm going to tell you if, you, if you got the funk flowing from the armpits, you ain't going to help nobody. <laughs> I figured somebody would say, preach, Pastor. Brother Nate, run in there to the men's bathroom and grab what's on the counter in that basket. Run in there and grab that for me on the counter. Run there. I even, I even help you. That's how you run? Come on, like a 5K. Get in there. Just whatever's in that basket, bring it. I believe in this stuff. I'm going to tell you right now. We provide. Listen, I know sometimes we get to work in and, and we get to, and, and look, I'm going to tell you, I, there's a lot of things people got to get over to get to Jesus. I don't want it to be your armpits or breath. Let it be their sin, their, their, their sin, they got to go. You see all this stuff? Man, we got, we've got cologne. We've got all kinds of stuff. We, we, got, we even got a lint roller. I mean, look at this. We got, we, they even look like cigars, we, but we have anointed them, and they are sanctified. We've got, thank you, Brother Nick. We got like three boxes of Altoids in there. You say, Pastor, that's overkill. It's, it's, when I've been pastoring, that's the way it's been. We've always had cologne, and we've had, we have body spray and all that stuff. Because, look, sometimes it's kind of, you know, everybody can forget every once in a while. But, you know, just make sure your right guard don't take a left turn. 
Ladies, make sure that secret don't tell, okay? So just keep it, keep it a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. We got way off, way off the beaten path. Amen. But hey, you may not appreciate it now, but the next time you go to camp meeting or a conference and you got Sister Holy with halitosis praying all over you, you're going to go, man, I wish you went to first church, my Lord. I, t- I feel the enamel peeling off my teeth right now. Get this woman away from me. Amen. It may, it may seem silly, but man, you go somewhere and that brother just starts praying for you and all of a sudden you're like, my Lord, I can taste that. Get him away from me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. So when you get up there and you pray for somebody, don't be offensive. Amen. They'd be over there screaming, hang on, turn loose. Hang on, turn loose. Yield, hang on, turn loose. And when you get the victory, the victory's not over because you shouted. The victory ain't even over once you spoke in tongues. Now you've got to get up and walk out. Wouldn't it be great if when you got your next victory, God said, okay, now grab you a sleeping bag and a pillow and you can just live right here in this altar and in that state of bliss and power right there the rest of you. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because you never have to leave that atmosphere, but you don't. You can't live there. You can't live on the battlefield. You got to get up and go home. And sometimes it's on the way home. One of his brothers pop up. Sometimes when you get home, one of the brothers pop up. Sometimes on your way to work the next morning. Sometimes it's at your job. Sometimes it may be a week later. But one of them brothers is going to pop up. And let me tell you something. And if you didn't cut the head off the thing you got victory over, I promise you it's getting back up again. I've had people say, Pastor, I've been struggling with the same temptation, the same problem for years. I get victory and I pray through it. It's because you let it live. You shouted about it, you danced about it, you testified about it, but you never took the sword and drove it through the heart of that thing. And the Bible says when that unclean spirit sees that that heart is empty, what does he do? He goes and finds seven more spirits, more wicked than himself, and the latter state of the man is worse in the beginning because they never fight alone. They never fight alone. They always got somebody waiting the wings to back them up. Amen? You've got to finish your antibiotics. Just because you feel good does not mean it's over. Just because you got the victory Ready? Doesn't mean you've won the victory. Goliath has brothers, honey, and you are going to face them soon enough. God gives opportunities to conquer and to have victory, but it requires work, toil, consistency, prayer, fasting, dedication, commitment, and vigilance. What did Peter say? Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, Roameth about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. 
Listen, the church was birthed in warfare in Acts chapter 2. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His church was birthed in the battle. And the battle's not going to stop until the rapture of the church. The battle goes on. You've got to stay vigilant. It is dangerous to be engaged in a battle, which we are daily, and not be aggressive about it. I said it's dangerous to be engaged in a battle and not be aggressive about it. To start to fight and not keep fighting until you get victory is a deadly proposition. Look at Saul and the Amalekites, Joash and the Syrians. Like antibiotics, you must finish it or the bacteria is going to get stronger. It's going to get stronger. I remember when I was a kid and I got strep throat and they took me in and, and I had to take some antibiotics. And like a month later, I got it again. And I had to take some antibiotics. But that time, I finished it. Because the doctor scared me and said, look, if you keep playing around with this, now I can't remember which organ it is. It'll get a hold of your liver or something like that. Your heart, get a hold of your heart, swell it up. It'll pop, you know, all this stuff. I'm sitting there thinking my heart like a balloon. You know, I'd, I'd seen them Looney Tune commercials. I know what that looks like, or cartoon. And they said, if you don't, that infection will get in. And it said that, they said the uh, a scarlet fever, the strep throat will get so powerful Antibiotics cannot fight it because when you don't finish this, you're only making it more powerful. Man, I didn't forget it. Uh-uh. No, I finished it that time. That second time, I was sure to finish it because I didn't want. It's the same thing. Listen to me. If you shout over it on Sunday, but you don't fight it through to complete victory through the week, that thing's going to get stronger next time. When you feel like backing off and relaxing, that's when you push harder. Because if you don't finish the course of antibiotics, the bacteria is going to get stronger. If you don't finish the enemy that is fighting against you in your life, it's going to get stronger. It's going to get more potent, and it will eventually take you out. Our tendency is to do for a bit, but stop, but but the kingdom of God can't be like that. You can't just do and then stop and then do that. You've got to keep pushing on. We used to sing onward Christian soldiers going on to war with the cross before us. Amen. We have got to get that marching cadence in our mind that I am not going to stop until the enemy has been eradicated in my life. I'm not going to quit until there's been an absolute eradication of this enemy that comes against me. I can't play with it. I can't just knock Goliath down. I, I can't knock him down and, and, and then, you, you know, do the funky chicken dance on the battlefield and let everybody see how cool I am. Amen. I, can, I can't just cut his head off and show everybody, amen, how mighty and how skillful I am. He's got four brothers, and if I don't go get them, they're coming after me. If you don't finish your antibiotics, you're only making the bacteria stronger. I'm wanting to drive this home. If you won't complete and total victory in your life, you have to stay vigilant with the sword of the Spirit in your hand and say, I am going to 
win this fight. I'm not going to just knock my enemy down on Sunday and Tuesday. I'm not just going to run and dance and speak in tongues and then go home and act like nothing gets you. I'm going to go home and be vigilant and say, all right, buddy, you come out from underneath that rock because you got a reckoning day with me. Amen. Amen. And for, unfortunately, in war, there are casualties. There are some that won't make it in spiritual warfare. It is when people won't fight that they become casualties. They become casualties. People don't backslide with a prayer life. Amen. They don't backslide with a prayer People don't walk away from God to have a prayer life. What happens? They stop praying. People say, Say, Pastor, they stopped coming to church. They backslid. No, they backslid way before that. It was way before they stopped coming to church. They, they had already stopped praying. They had started letting things into their home and into their life. They, they compromised on things that previously they wouldn't compromise on. You, you, you just saw a symptom. There, there was something more happening there. Amen. And then they become prey. When there is spiritual breakthrough, not just a good service, but true breakthrough in the spirit, and the enemy's back has been broken, there, there comes with that a liberty and a freedom. It's in the air. It's something. How many has ever felt the back of the enemy broken in your life in a service before? I know I, we, well, actually, we kind of feel it quite regularly around here, and that's a wonderful thing. Amen. That we feel that freedom and that victory, that freedom from oppression it will draw people that deliverance will draw people amen revival churches have that amen consistent growth takes place when that kind of an atmosphere of victory is cultivated it's refreshing and it's replenishing but when you've broken the back of the enemy strongholds are broken and the strong man is bound you can take his house that's what Jesus said and Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church but when all of that happens we don't stop. We keep on moving in warfare. We can't even linger in that victory too long because there's four more brothers that are waiting for us out there. We, we can't stop and just relax and say, well, I can coast from here. Amen, I'm gonna take my spiritual vacation for the next three. You can't do that. You have gotta get on your feet and say, all right, we defeated Goliath. Now, where's the four other suckers at? I'm gonna go find them. I'm gonna go take them out because I am not going to be defeated because I knocked my enemy down but I didn't take him over amen amen there's a freedom that comes with that Israel was given uh, uh, the promised land Israel was given the promised land little by little little by little Exodus 22 and 20 uh, 20 excuse me Exodus 23 and 28 through 30 he said I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivitites Canaanites and Hittites out of your way, but I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I know so many people, and I am one of them people, that can get so frustrated in living for God because God's told us the promise, but we have did not see the fight. Brother Martin preached a few, I wish I'd have come up with it too. It's just one of those messages where you hear a preacher like, come on, God, you could have gave that to me. 
I'm going to ask him to preach it at, uh, at Awaken if the Lord leads him to. It was a powerful message. He was preaching of Joseph, and his title was simply this. God, uh, you never dream the valleys. You never dream the valleys. You only dream the victories. And when God told Israel, I'm giving you a land that flows with milk and honey, in their mind, they thought it was going to be like that. and Everything was going to be theirs. But God said, little by little, little by little, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. And if you would just admit it with me and say, you know what, I think you're right, Pastor. I admit that. One of the biggest frustrations we have in living for God is when we crossed that river to go into Jericho that we didn't get all the land, but we're getting a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here. And a, You want to know why? Because probably none of us in here could handle the blessing of God. God in our life if he just gave it to us overnight like that amen the Bible God says I will never put more on you than what you are able to bear we always talk about our problems oh yeah I can make it through because he said he'll never put more on me that and that's true but it also means good stuff too some people can't afford to be blessed they just can't afford to be blessed God blesses them a little bit and they start missing church all the time God blesses them a little bit and they stop praying. God starts blessing them with a better job and they, they stop being faithful in their giving. God says, okay, that's what it takes. Whoo, misery shall be your company. Some, some people, the only time they pray is when, they're, when everything's going wrong in their life. So God will just send a little trouble. Just keep a little trouble in there. Keep them humble. Keep them praying. I, I want to I learn to pray in the good times and in the bad times. Jewish people teach their children to pray. They pray two prayers uh, when they eat. They pray one at the beginning of the meal. They have a prayer. And at the end of the meal, they pray a prayer. And I asked one of them one time, I said, why do y'all do that? And, and they said, because we don't want to just teach our children to pray when their bellies are empty. We want to teach them to give thanks and pray when their bellies are full. And too many of us, our greatest prayer life is only when all hell is breaking loose and everything is going wrong and, and, the, and the battle of our soul is in full effect. Amen. God, God wants you to have victory in your life. He wants you to have victory over the enemy. Amen. But if you can't afford to stay saved being victorious, amen, look at somebody and say, I want to learn how to handle blessings. Scripture says we go from victory to victory, from faith to faith. The real battle, the real battle is after the battle. The real battle is after the battle. In Joshua chapter 10, I'm, I'm finding a place to close. In Joshua chapter 10, five kings had amassed against Gibeon. The battle had taken place. Bodies lied strewn across the battlefield, hacked and hewn to pieces. The five kings, the kings of Jerusalem, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of uh, Jerotham, the king of Lachish, and the king of Elgon, according to Joshua chapter 10 and verse 16, said, hid themselves in a cave at Maccabiah. You see, you are not safe from the attack of these kings until they are dead. Joshua chapter 10 beginning at verse number 22. Then said Joshua, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. 
And they did so and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jeremoth, uh, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And it came to pass when they brought those kings unto Joshua, and Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war which went with him, come near and put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And when they came near, they put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards, Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging upon the trees until evening. Because after Joshua conquered the land, after Joshua conquered the five kings, they fled the battlefield and they all went and hid in a cave at Kadesh. And he said, the battle is not over until the the king is dead. And so they went to the cave and they pulled them out. And Joshua said, put your feet on their neck and let's take them out because the battle is not going to be over until we get to the source of the problem. When Joshua got there they brought those kings out and he told the people don't be afraid he said I want you to be strong and of good courage God shall do to all your enemies and they killed the king but I'm going to tell you something we got a problem in our churches today and that is we get temporary relief and we just dance and shout and the enemy goes and escapes in a cave some of you need to be cave hunters yeah I said you be cave hunters when you leave here tonight. You need to be cave hunters when you leave on Sunday and say, yes, I shouted. Yes, I prayed through. Yes, I feel the victory, but there's an enemy in a cave that I've got to get a hold of because if I don't take his head off, he's going to come back and he's going to come back with a vengeance. I've got to go in with the power of the authority of God's word and drive my enemies into complete submission. Don't allow those those kings to to hide out in the cave until the heat is off. Get them out in the open and take care of business. They will go for temporary cover, but they're going to come back to kill you. Don't just run them off for a while, but you kill them and you're going to have freedom. Don't huddle with them. Don't hide them. They will destroy you. If you want to live, you've got to learn to finish the job. Kill that which is trying to kill you spiritually. It has to be settled. Hang it from a tree. Joshua 10 and 27, it said, it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid and laid great stones in the cave's mouth which remain unto this very day. Don't you just kill them. Don't you just put them on display. Now you need to go bury their bones and say, I'm getting rid of this thing once and for all. Don't let them back up. Don't let them back up. You've got to defeat all of them. Joshua chapter 10 and verse 42. Amen. Brother Lucas, if you'll come, said, in all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. I want you to know something. No matter what you're going through right now, you can't turn the battle. 
You can turn the battle. You can turn the battle. You can turn it around. You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to live in agony. Somebody needs to make up their mind. I'm not letting my enemy around again. I'm going to finish the. I'm not going to let it learn to get stronger. I'm going to defeat it. Human nature is to get stronger when defeated. You know, it's even, it's even animalistic nature that if it's defeated, it will come back stronger and with a stronger will. I, I read some time ago about a study they did with, with, with uh, lab rats. They put them in a bucket of water. And they watched that rat pedaling kick. And after about 25 minutes, that rat would give up and it would drown. But they noticed something pretty amazing. They noticed that, that the scientists noticed that if they put that water, that another rat in the water, and right when they dipped down to sink and to drown, after about 25, if they, 25 minutes, they'd pick them up out of the water and they'd set them on the counter and they'd let them catch their breath. Then they put them back in the bucket of water. They said those rats would swim for over 60 hours because they knew they could survive. They had already been through something. You cannot let them rats out of the water. You cannot let that enemy back out of the bucket. You've got to finish the antibiotics. Don't just pray the victory down tonight. Don't just shout the victory down on Sunday. You got to be willing to say, all right, I'm going to be vigilant because I know Goliath has four more brothers out there. I know there are five kings hiding in a cave. And if I'm going to have absolute victory, I've got to finish it because the real battle is after the battle. Would you stand with me tonight? Amen. Don't let that thing get stronger in your life. Don't let that enemy become emboldened in your life. You have got to through prayer, through reading of God's word, through fasting, through faithfulness to the house of God. You have got to stay committed to the battle and say, I'm going to see this thing through. I promise you, you're, you're not going to fight it and defeat it one time. It's got brothers. It's got friends that are going to come back and try to take over. That's the nature of the enemy. But I'm so glad the Bible said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if God be for us, who shall be against us? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I'm telling you, we are not a weaponless people. We are not a hopeless people. We are not a people ill-equipped for the battle. As a matter of fact, we're over-equipped for the battle because we've got God on our side. And if we stay committed to the fight, if we stay committed to living for God, amen, if we will just finish the antibiotics, it's going to take care of that thing. And stay vigilant and get total victory in your life. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, amen. Whoever, whoever it is tonight that's wrestling with that thing in your life, you're dealing with that problem 
in your life, that situation, that issue, a man that is going on in your life, that thing that you are dealing with, that enemy that has been raging in your soul, that spirit of doubt, that spirit of fear, the spirit of confusion, depression, oppression, stress, worry, all of these things that have been coming against your soul, I'm telling you, it's not the will of God, amen, to live in the shadow of that giant, but it is the will of God for you to rise up in faith and say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ. I am more than a conqueror through Christ, and I am not going to let this thing defeat me and I am no longer just going to knock it down and move on. No. Amen. I'm going to finish the job by the power of God and with the help of the Holy Ghost. Come on. Go ahead and lift that voice right now. I feel the touch of God, the strength of God in this place tonight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. These altars are open. Maybe you want to step down and say, God, renew my strength. God, renew my strength tonight, God. Renew my strength for the battle. Renew my strength for the fight, Lord. I I, I don't want to go home. Amen. Being weary and well-doing, but I want to be strengthened by the power of your spirit. There's some giants that I've knocked down, but now I need to put my foot on their neck. Now I need to finish the job like David did. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come over just a couple of moments. Just, just let the power of God infuse you with strength. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.